Hey, everybody. Welcome to the No Pants Required Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Mann. And today, I'm wearing capri pants, or as I like to call them, regular-sized pants. My guest today for this episode is Jessica Buchanan. Jessica is a teacher, author, podcaster, humanitarian, speaker, and survivor. Hey, you guys. All right, so today I have Jessica Buchanan on the podcast, and I met Jess a couple months ago when I was doing promos for Midlife Bites, my new book, which everyone should have read by now. And if you haven't, don't worry, there's still copies out there. You can go get one and get that done. But I was doing, my publicist had found a bunch of podcasts for me to appear on. And We we Should Talk About That is the name of Jessica's podcast. And she hosts it with another Jessica. So it's like Jess and Jess and Jess. And they had me on there. And I'm a really bad, I'm a really bad researcher before I go on people's shows. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, I just go on and I just talk because that's, I'm, I'm pretty decent at that. And so I don't do a lot of back, back end work. And we're sitting there on the show and it might've even been afterwards, Jessica, I think we had finished recording and, <laughs> yeah. and somebody said, well, cause Jessica was kidnapped and rescued by SEAL team six. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and oh, I know what it was because you asked me where I lived. Yeah, She's like, yeah. where do you live? And I said, I live in Kansas city. And she's like, I live in Virginia, but I'll be in Kansas city like on Friday. And I'm like, I'm sorry, why? And she's like, oh, no big deal. I'm just coming in to talk to the FBI. And I was like, are you in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> it felt and, like it. It felt like it with my SWAT team pickup and all that. <laughs> right? And so she was like, no, I was like, I was just, I was just kidnapped and rescued by SEAL Team 6. And so I go in and I talk to law enforcement a lot. And I'm like, this information would have been really helpful an hour ago. Like I've sat here talking about woe is me life, how my life sucks. And you're just like, yeah, tell me more. Tell me more about that. <laughs> But here's the thing, like, I totally get it because I'm a middle-aged woman dealing with the same things, so. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, and so then I, of course, because I am Jen and I just insert myself into everything, I was like, oh, well, I'm free Friday. I would love to come and hear you talk at the FBI. (laughs) And she was like, let me see what I can do. And so sure enough, I, I managed to to get myself an invitation. And I walked in there and she was completely guarded, like guys with earpieces and stuff, <laughs> which by the way, I don't mean to, I'm just going to say it. Oh my God, your SEAL, not your SEAL team, but your SWAT team, they were really cute. And I was like, dang. <laughs> they were <laughs> like, cute. Like every single one was cuter than the next. They're like, but- Miss Man is here, Miss Man is here. And I'm like, I'm right here. You can arrest me. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah, but they're so serious. Super they're serious. So I mean, I'm not even because I was like, you can just say I'm it's just Jen. I'm just, I'm just Jen. But they're like, are you here to see? I mean, I, I don't think they said the package was, I don't think they said we have the package, but it was something like <laughs> oh to that extent. I mean, they're yes. like, the eagle has landed. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was like so intense. Like they came up to my hotel room, like uh-huh. to the door. Didn't even just wait for me outside for a pickup. It was, they were, they were on point, as I guess you would say. I guess so, but it, yeah. I was just like, it's fine. I'm just, I, I mean, if she has a second, I'll just, I'll just be over here. And gosh, and then I want to say you had, you, I know you had a big black like SUV they loaded you into, and I want to say there was like a follower, even like there was there like a, was. Like a, there was like a caravan. Yeah, <laughs> like I was like, holy crap! Oh, what's happening right now? So yeah, so all this to say, she's kind of a BFD, and I'm really and I not. I kind of should have known that. And so now, since then, of course, I immediately went out and bought your book, mm-hmm. Impossible Odds. And I read it and 
Oh, sis. Okay. Mm. So for those of you who don't know the Jessica Buchanan story, I'm going to go ahead and let her just tell you her story real quick. (laughs) Well, that was definitely one of the best intros I've ever had. So thank you very much. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So there are lots of stories that I could tell about my life, but this definitely tends to be one of the more interesting ones. And I'm a, I'm actually a teacher by profession. So at the end of my college career, I decided I wanted to uh, teach abroad and I ended up in Nairobi, uh, Kenya, at teaching in an international school, love life, hashtag living my best life, met my husband while I was working in Nairobi. And he's now an American citizen, but the time was a Swedish national. And he was working for an NGO in, in like Somalia and Kenya. And he we fell in love and the whole thing. It was like, I don't know, the 21st century out of Africa. Not really, but you know, like in my, like in my recollections, it felt very much like that. Um, and we, we got married and he was um, essentially like reassigned with the organization that he was working with up in the northern part of Somalia. And so I was like, long distance. I don't think this is going to work out very well. So I quit my job and I moved up there with him. And I'm a teacher, so it's easy for me to find work. I started doing consultancies for the UN and landed at a job at a Danish organization that worked in community safety and armed violence reduction, which was not like my technical skill set. But what I did have was technical uh, pedagogical skills in the area of education. So what I ended up doing was running their entire education program because we would go out into these really remote places and these villages that were still recovering from civil war and they would have unexploded ordinances and landmines and stuff still littering their communities and little kids would actually pick them up because they didn't know what they were and they were shiny and then they could detonate and like kids were maimed and they were blinded or they were killed. And so what I got to do was run that whole program and design all the materials and train all the staff. And it was seriously like some of the most fulfilling, most awesome work I've ever done in my life. Um, I did that for a couple of years and traveled all over East Africa. And really, it was fulfilling and felt purposeful, but it was exciting and adventure. And we didn't have any kids yet. And so my husband and I could take off for the weekend and go scuba diving in the Indian Ocean where three expat people had ever been in like the the last hundred years. Awesome and incredible. And I loved it all. And then in October of 2011, I was called upon to do a staff training in the southern part of Somalia. So like a lot of people are like, Somalia, that is not a place I think about, like have ever thought about, but it is the Horn of Africa. So if you like pulled out a map and it's kind of shaped like a number seven. And so I was based up in the top of the seven, which was very like peaceful and some sort of order and structure and where most of the organizations are based. But I was being called to go down to the lower part of the seven, which is like where you see on the news, Mogadishu, Islamic terrorists, like that kind of deal. Not safe-ish, not super awesome. But we did have a program down there and it was part, part of my portfolio. And I had organized two staff trainings and canceled them because I didn't feel good about them. 
And the third time the training was organized, I called my colleague up, a Danish gentleman named Paul, and I said, I don't feel good about this. I don't want to come down. I think we should bring your staff up to my office, blah, blah, blah. Like that, he put a lot of pressure on me. I would say now, it's t- and it's taken me a really long time to be able to speak my truth on this. And I'm in the midst of unraveling why that is. But he he bullied me and pressured me. I was working in a very male-dominated environment. Like a lot of these guys didn't know what to do with me because I'm like this rather gregarious, like outgoing. I think people kind of aren't sure how to take me sometimes because I laugh a lot and I joke around a lot and they're all like very stoic and very serious and they're out to save the world and they know so much and here I am. And I was like, yeah, uh, I'm not going to do that. And he was like, well, I'm going to report you to your supervisor if you don't. Wow. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, well, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like I, I love my job and, and I know like if, if people don't have a frame of reference for this kind of working environment and this, this kind of like world, it seems strange to say these jobs are really hard to come by and they're really competitive. But if you want to do international um, development work or aid work, like it's really hard to find a job that actually pays you a normal salary and other outside of the volunteering. So I was scared that I was going to lose my job. And so I like reasoned my way through it. And it's like, I'm a school teacher from Ohio. Like what's the worst that's going to happen to what's the worst thing that can happen? Like nothing, nothing's, nothing's going to happen. It's going to be fine. I'm just being paranoid. And so I went down, it was like a three day training. And the third morning we were supposed to leave the the guest house and, and move to another part of town. And that part was a little bit precarious in terms of logistics. And I woke up that morning and I had had nightmares like all night long. And I'm not like the kind of person that typically remembers my dreams or anything. Some people are like prolific dreamers and all this wild stuff happens in their sleep time. That is not me. I'm just like dead to the world. And then I wake up and I go about my day. But Mm -hmm. I had had like vivid like dreams that I was being like our compound had been like taken over by pirates. And they're like, this is kind of pirate country. We're not too far from the coast, like the Indian Ocean. So if you're familiar with the story of Captain Phillips, for instance, like that had happened the year before. So it's not out of the realm of possibilities that there would be pirates around. Um, So I got up out of bed and I'm like drenched in sweat. And hardly slept all night. And I remember going into the bathroom and looking myself in the mirror and saying out loud, Jess, do you want to do this? And I, I mean, I knew that I knew that I knew that the answer was no. Like, damn it. was no way I wanted to leave the compound and go do this training. Yeah. But then it was like... I'm already here. What am I supposed to say? Am I going to go down there and be like, uh, actually, I have this dream. And so I'm not going to go. Let that go. No, you're going to look crazy. You're going to look paranoid. You're going to be like the typical, like stereotypical woman, right? You're so emotional. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right? And yeah. I got that. I got that a lot, actually. I mean, all those microaggressions. Yet- 
Right, but it's my spidey senses are tingling like a mofo. Yeah. Like, no, they're not tingling. Me. They are freaking screaming at me. Flares, yeah. doing cartwheels. My intuition was like, listen to me. Ugh, and the sucks. reason I talk about this so much is because I think that we as women, we don't, you, we don't... <laughs> We don't listen to ourselves. We And I Mm-mm. actually think that we don't even know the sound of our own voice. Mm-hmm. We don't even recognize it. Mm-hmm. And we don't. It, and if we do, we don't listen to it because we don't trust it. Right. And that's very much where I was at at that point. Right. Yeah. And I basically told my like intuition to fuck off. And <laughs> I walked out the door and I walked into a whole different life. Uh-huh. And I, I call that the great self-abandonment. Like that yeah. is the moment that I abandoned myself. Gosh. Well, and so many times it's, I, I think you're right. Like women just don't, we, we double, we, we think, oh, I don't want to be rude or I don't want to lose my job or I don't mm-hmm. want to ruffle feathers or whatever. Yeah. I still, The Gift of Fear. Have you read that book? Yes. The Gift oh, of Fear. Yeah. It's right here. I'm looking I, at it right now. I mean, yep. every woman, every girl over the age of 10 should read that book yes. because it's all that all it talks about is that is that we need to listen to that. Yes. Oh, our, our bodies and our minds, they know. Mm-hmm. So, and I haven't even gotten to the good part, but right, like, right. We should have just stopped right then. We should have just been like, damn it, I'm not going. I don't I think I should go. I should have, but but I also I think didn't. it's because you're younger though, too, right? Mm-hmm. Like now, like mm-hmm. I'm close to 50. The fuck I'm not listening no. to my intuition. Yeah, 100 <laughs> you know? percent when, and I mean, oh my God. No job like, is worth this. No, no. Nothing is worth this. No. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Yeah. yeah. So I leave and I go to the other office to do the training and everything goes fine. I make it to about three o'clock in the afternoon. Everything seems as it should be. We get into a convoy of three vehicles and we start out through the gates to head back to the the that guest house that we were sleeping in and mm-hmm. we all of a sudden are surrounded our cars cut off there are angry men with guns like surrounding our vehicle screaming at us they pull the security visor out of the car get in the car in the seat next to me this man who's wearing a police uniform gets uh, into the back seat with me and puts a gun to my head and starts screaming at the driver to drive and we drive for hours out into the middle of the desert. It took me like probably two hours to figure out what was happening. I kept hoping and praying that maybe we were just being carjacked and we were going to be like dropped off Mm -hmm. and we could walk back to town. But instead we were driven for seven, eight hours into the middle of the desert, forced out of the vehicles and to walk to what I believe was I believed at the time was my execution. Um, mm. And we, it was a mock execution. Wow. Um, to scare us into submission. And that started a 93 day captivity in the Somali desert where I lived outside. I was not ever taken to uh, a shelter or even like, a tent or anything. We slept under trees. Like tried to sleep under trees during the day, sat under trees during the day, slept out in the open at night. We were kept on a starvation diet. I think I lost like 45 pounds the course of three months. Mm -hmm. And 
I was regularly terrorized and <clears throat> abused. I was never, thank God, sexually assaulted, which is a miracle in and of itself. And then on January 25th, 2012, by order of President Obama, SEAL Team 6, who are the same special forces that got Osama bin Laden in, I believe, 2011, 2010, 2011, parachuted into the desert mm. in the middle of the night. And they killed the nine captors that were on the ground and rescued Paul and I and brought us back to life. So that's my oh. story in a nutshell. Oh my gosh. And what a story. So when I heard you speak here in Kansas City, a lot of the questions were about sort of like, how did you endure this captivity? How did you mm. endure kind of not losing hope? And I was so struck by how you talked about sort of the mind over matter that you just every day you sort of, you thought about different things. I And can you talk more about that again? Can you, can you yeah. explain that kind of yeah. what you're doing? Sure. I mean, I think that it's probably what a lot of us have been doing for the last two years. Um, yeah. It's it to me surviving anything. Ugh, yes, a kidnapping is very extreme. It's all a mental thing. If your body is willing to cooperate and 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 hold up for you, it is really about your mindset and it is a mental game, I think. And I realized probably about 40 days into my captivity, because it, it took me a really long time to figure out what was happening, what was going on, who these people were, what they wanted. And it took a long time for my nervous system, I think, to settle down until I could actually like then figure out how I was going to survive in the long run. And I, I would say probably like 40. I, don't, I mean, who's counting? Like, <laughs> whatever, it doesn't matter. But um, I I realized that I was like, I was going to be in this thing for a while. Like I was in it for the long haul. Like for a while, uh -huh. for the first couple of weeks, we thought, oh, we're aid workers. We're here to serve the community. So the communities are going to put pressure on these guys and they're going to release us and it's not going to be a big deal. And we'll have been in for 10 days. It's all good, mm -hmm. right? No, not true. That is not what happens. And so I realized. I needed to come up with a plan or else I was going to lose my mind. Right. And I was really, really afraid of going insane. Like, I know that sounds like weird and that maybe in this context, I don't it think doesn't. It sounds, no, I don't think it sounds weird at all because I think it, you're out there with a bunch of people, one who probably can't communicate with you. Uh -uh. So you're kind of, it's like being in isolation. Yes. Yeah. And then the way you describe the desert at night and how it's, you know, pitch black and you can't see and you don't have any sort of, I don't think we realize how much light we live in all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like a deprivation chamber mm -hmm. kind of thing, you know? Yes. So of course you would go crazy or worry about going crazy. Yeah. And then just the fear of what's un the unknown of what is going to happen tomorrow. What's tomorrow going to look like? Yeah. And like, how long is this thing going to last? I think, Do I want it tomorrow? Is there a tomorrow? Yeah. How many tomorrows? Why? Yeah. All those things would just yeah. 
weigh on you heavily, I would think. Yeah. And you don't really have anything else to do. Yeah. <laughs> like this is it. I don't have, I went from having this really busy job where I had all these demands and then like in an instant, and I felt this very much at the start of the pandemic too. It was like everything mm-hmm. comes to a screeching halt and you are like paralyzingly like empty and void of anything to do. I didn't have a notebook and a pen. No one gave me a book to read. It's not like I was like on some vacation where I was going to get caught up on my journaling or something like, no, there was nothing. And so I decided I had this and it's so interesting because I was just writing about this this morning because this is, I'm working on my second book now. And I so I had lost my mom very suddenly the year before all of this happened. And oh, wow. it was really, I was still very much in the throes of grief. And my whole family was and just trying to make sense of what life was going to be without her in it. And um, I had been thinking before all of this happened about taking a couple months off from work and going. I'm in Africa, so it wouldn't have been a big deal to go to Asia or something. I was thinking about going to India and I'm really into meditation and yoga or I was more into yoga back then, but anyway, it doesn't matter. And I was like thinking I'd go sit in an ashram for a couple of months and not talk to anybody and sit on the floor cross-legged and move through my grief and my pain and all of that. And then I woke up one morning and I was like, interesting. I have nothing to do. I have no one to talk to. I'm sitting like cross-legged under this tree. I wonder if this is my opportunity to do what I had been thinking I was going to do before all of this happened. And I don't even have to quit my job and travel halfway around the world. I can sit here and do it for free. So Mm. I decided that I had an opportunity if I chose to look at it that way. And I had three things that I was never going to get in my life. I knew if I survived this and moved on, I was never going to have this much time, just empty time. Yeah. I was never going to have this much solitude um, because the desert, it it really is a beautifully like solitary space. And I was never going to not have anything to do the way I had nothing to do. Mm-hmm. In captivity. And yeah. So I decided that I was going to make a plan and break down my life, go back to my very first memories from when I was like four years old. And I was going to dissect everything. I was going to remember everything that had ever happened to me. And I was going to like watch it like scenes of a movie. And I was going to stop. I was going to pause. I was going to analyze and I was going to rewind and, 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 watch that part again and figure out why my mom said that and why I responded that way. And I was just going to like literally analyze the shit out of 28 years. I was 32 at the time. The only thing I wasn't allowed to do was hit fast forward. Uh huh. I was going to sit in it all. And I realized, well, I had a lot of really interesting realizations about myself through that exercise and through that practice. And then it really, really, I mean, it kept me, it served so many purposes. I mean, it kept me occupied. It kept me entertained. (laughs) It gave me something to do, but I also was able to move on from some memories and some situations. I was able to forgive some people. I was able to ask for forgiveness, um, buried a lot of grudges 
I went mm. through the actual like physical act of symbolically like burying them in the sand next to me. I mean, it was actually a really beautiful time of self-discovery and exploration that I don't think I ever would have had the chance to have. Now, I wouldn't want to go back and be kidnapped again. Right. But I will say there is an like and that's kind of my thing. There is a there is a choice and an opportunity almost in every single thing, every single change or hardship that we face. Yeah. Well, I think the thing too is that I really liked how you had this positive outlook when you were telling your story, but you weren't. How do I explain this? So that I hate toxic positivity. Right? Oh, me too. <laughs> I just hate it where you're just yeah. like, no, it was an opportunity. I was kidnapped and mm-hmm. I just, it was a beautiful time. No, 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 <laughs> no. There, no. there can always be beautiful moments if we choose to see them, but I'll yeah. say it like fucking sucked. <laughs> well, that's it. And I think, cause I know there's going to be someone who's going to send me an email and they're like, so I'm supposed to get kidnapped so I no. can find myself. No, that is not what I'm saying. I'm just <laughs> saying that when you're stuck in your house on quarantine or like these last couple of years. And I I keep referencing that because we've all been through our own captivity here (laughs) in the last couple of years. I really had to like, I've had to employ some of my strategies from, and it's triggered a lot of stuff in me right? because it feels very similar because we've been stuck in a lot of ways. And I think, I do think it's interesting because if you can access that part in you it's a it's a survival mechanism Mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a way of coping and it's it's a way of controlling Mm -hmm. the situation which is really what i was looking for right and opportunity sure i don't know if that's even the right word but it did give me a chance to do some work that I don't know if I hadn't been stopped in my tracks, I would have given the space and time to. And so in that, I have to, I have to honor that and I have to talk about it because Mm -hmm. I do think that most of the time there is an opportunity, but you know, the timing has to be just right. And sometimes you just have to be (laughs) desperate enough to access it. And to me, the way I looked at it, when I was listening to you speak, I just thought, I will probably never be, hopefully, never be in this situation. I hope and not, many, yeah. probably no one in this whole room. And it was a packed auditorium, y'all. But I'm like, probably no one will ever have this, this experience. But yet, how often have we felt trapped somewhere? Mm-hmm. Or we have felt like we're, like you were saying, with the quarantine, with all the things that are going on in our lives. And I'm like, and the tools that she's giving us right now are just, Things we could do no matter what. I I have 30 minutes in my day that I could carve out mm-hmm. and sit down and sort of sit with my feelings and sit with things. And I have a lot of grudges I could bury out in my backyard if I really <laughs> wanted to do that, you know, yeah. along with some bodies. But yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, same. <laughs> you know? but, same. But I just thought to me, this is you're teaching us sort of how to get through hard things. I mean, you've been through amazingly hard things, but I think that every day all of us face hard things mm-hmm. and and the, and the the tools and the advice doesn't change. It's more just the situation yeah. and the 
environment that you're in and that kind of thing. It, it's, but I just, I thought it was really, I think it's amazingly brave that you can get up and talk about this stuff because I think I would be, oh, well, I know I'd be furious. I'd be really angry. Mm. Do you have a lot of anger or how do you get through your anger? Mm. Uh, I did for a really long time. And I mean, I, interestingly, I guess I've never really been angry at the guys that took me and the Somalis and the pirates and all of that, because I get it in a way, like it's a, it's a business. It's a, I'm a commodity. Like it's a very dehumanized like situation. And I always, again, I come at, I have to come at it from a humanitarian's perspective because that's why it was there. That's true. Like, yeah, I, I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not like, like who's I to say I, people. right. Like I, who's to say I wouldn't have done the same thing. Like I have two kids, like if my kids were starving or they needed medical help or like Somalia is a rough place. The like, average life expectancy I think is 46. So wow. by all intents and purposes, I'm like on my way out already. People yeah. live on a dollar a day. I mean, it's just like the things you see on those commercials, the starving babies and all of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's true. And so I, I get that in my own weird way and not like in a Stockholm syndrome, like I'm like furthering their cause, but just, mm, okay. Is it more, you feel like desperate people do desperate things. And 100%. That is, and that's yeah. why I went into aid work in the first place. Cause if you don't go, if people don't go and try to better the infrastructures, then there people are like, problems are just going to keep happening. Security's just going to get worse. Mm-hmm. If you don't provide education for girls, if you don't provide open and free and fair markets for people to make money, then they're going to have to resort to crime because it is a very human thing to want to survive and to want to feed your babies. And so, crime is profitable there. Yes, it very like $45 million for an American girl. Boom, done. Yeah. You know? It didn't work out for them the way they thought it was going to. And, but the people that I think I've been angry with the most were my organization because they were really negligent in their duty of care. I found out on day 27, Paul, who was kidnapped with me, who put the pressure on me to come, that there was actually a direct kidnapping threat on the organization that he didn't tell me about because he didn't want me to cancel my training. But he felt like he needed to get it off his chest since we were sitting there like wasting away. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do with that? You might be the last person I ever talked to in my life. Seriously? I can't even tell you the amount of rage that just boiled up inside of me right now when you said <laughs> that. that. trigger you. Oh, I'm so, like, I'm not even, like, I'm shaking. Okay. So he just was like, listen, mm-hmm. I, I, I need mm-hmm. to get this off my chest because I feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel guilty because I know mm-hmm. that this is my fucking fault. Yeah. And so I need you to forgive me. Did you bury that? In the desert, or did you? Oh, no. No, we okay, put good. that on a shelf because uh-huh. we were going to come back and deal with that when and if we got out. There was there nothing go. I could do about it then because literally yeah. he might have been the last person I ever saw and talked to in my life. Like, I wasn't yeah. going to, he was a lifeline for me, the only person yeah. who could understand my language. Yeah. So, but oh, you better believe I was fucking mad when I got out. Really, really mad. Where it, I take it you two are not pen pals. Oh, no, 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 no. You no, guys, no, no, no. we're not, no, we are not, not Facebook friends, friends or nope. LinkedIn. Mm-mm. Okay. I do think so. we are on LinkedIn, but I don't know what mm. that's about. Uh, Sucks but, to be you, you know, Paul. yeah, it's just been in the last couple of years that I've been able to move from a place of, and again, this is that whole journey. So, like, my next book. That hopefully I'll be done with in the next how it goes is scrolling. Oh, I but, do. Oh, yeah. oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, 
It's called Deserts to Mountaintops. And for me, it's literal, but it's also very metaphorical. And and I really want to explore those areas in our lives as women where we abandon ourselves, right? Yeah. And, and all the different facets, motherhood, uh, intimate relationships, friendships, like all of those places that we abandon ourselves. And it's like for a long time post-kidnapping, I abandoned myself in my story because I didn't talk about that because I don't know why when I was protecting him, I was protecting the organization. I don't know what I was. But then when I finally got to the mountain top mm-hmm. and stopped abandoning myself and my story in that regard, I was like, oh, the empowerment from which I could start talking, like the freedom. Like I, mm-hmm. I was just thinking about this this morning, like the only, like for me, the truest freedom that I have ever felt is being able to say what is my truth. Mm-hmm. And not and letting it go, the stop taking care of everybody else around me. Yes. And just saying what is true to me. Yes. And when I finally moved into that place and started saying, look, day 27, negligent, like failed in duty of care, and this is fucked up. Mm-hmm. It. I, I started telling my story in a different way. And I'm so glad that you caught me on this side of it. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to five years ago, I think I was still like telling the story that everybody else wanted to hear or that I thought they wanted to hear. And I realized, especially when you've been rescued by SEAL Team 6 and like you're the damsel in distress and, and I am not taking away anything from their magnificence, right? But then yeah. I also realized, what? There can be more than one hero in a story. Absolutely. I can I can be a hero in my own fucking story too. And there can be more than one villain. Ooh, yeah. Like kind of like okay, this is gonna be a weird thing, but what I'm thinking of is like, remember in the movie Alien, or was it Aliens, one of the ones where yeah. the guy was like, he like brought back the alien on the ship because they wanted like for corporate profit. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was like surprised when it got out and he's like, oh no, it got out. And everybody was like, all the scientists people were like, yeah, we told you that was going to happen. <laughs> like, I feel like that's Paul. Like Paul's yeah. the villain in this story. Mm-hmm. Like Paul is that guy where he's like, we have to, mm-hmm. for the business, we mm-hmm. have to keep her coming. And what was the point of that? Why? God damn. I think if anything we've learned, the one good thing we've learned about the pandemic is we can all fucking zoom each other now. Mm-hmm. Like I mm-hmm. don't need to mm-hmm. come down there. Yeah. To your war zone to talk right, to you. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I don't feel well. Now we just say I have COVID. That's what I was right. like. Sorry, Paul. I got <laughs> I, I, I did. Throat I kind of. <clears throat> yeah. I did that to my chiropractor this morning. I was like, look, I don't feel good. I'm not, I'm not coming in. And they were all like, oh, no, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. No, li- no, no cancellation no fees. <laughs> uh, you're yeah. just like, oh, my throat's a little scratchy. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's the one good thing we've learned. There's there's my positivity about yeah. COVID. No, but I just think, I do think that like, he is a villain in your story. And it's mm-hmm. interesting because it in even just to catch you, you say that I caught you on this side of the story, even just a few months ago when I saw you on stage, you kind of alluded to it, but mm-hmm. you still didn't really talk about it. I yet. didn't. No. No. Oh, but I am now. I am. Good. And that's, I mean, that's a big story through a thorough line because I didn't talk about it in Impossible Odds because it was too yeah. fresh and I was probably worried I was going to get sued. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, but, you know, it's a real thought. <laughs> right. Yeah. So now I'm not, but. <laughs> <laughs> so um, now my question is are you still, so you came home mm-hmm. and. Did you ever want to go back and do humanitarian work again? Did you do that again or would you oh, go back? Oh, goodness. Like, yeah. So, okay. So I got pregnant two weeks after the rescue 
Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So I always <laughs> joke that the book is called Impossible Odds, but that was the Impossible Odds. Um, with my You're son. Like, Everything is breaking down in my body, but don't worry, my uterus works. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I haven't had a period in months, but then the first time I have a reunion with my husband, we <laughs> make my nine, now nine-year-old, August, <laughs> who is amazing and so special. But that Clearly. was a... Well, that threw me for a loop, you could say. So I went from, I always kind of joke around like I went from being held hostage in one way to being held (laughs) hostage in another way because then I spent eight months throwing up and have this baby. I have PTSD. I have postpartum anxiety and depression. And we stayed in, he was born in Nairobi and we stayed there for about seven months. And then I just couldn't do it anymore because I was like so anxious all the time. Well, I would be so anxious about the baby at that point. Like it's, it's, you're already, new moms are already anxious, but if I've just recently come off of a major kidnapping and now I have a baby, I have to worry about too. Forget about it. Like we're moving to a compound. Well, I was on a (laughs) compound and then it was like, everybody's got a price, right? And like, again, it's, is somebody going to buy off my housekeeper and come in and steal my baby? Like I was having horrible paranoia. And I, we finally got to the point where I was like, no, we need to go back to the States. My husband had never lived there. So now we make a transcontinental move. We moved to DC, which we're not from, but my best friend was here and my husband still works in international development. Um, and so then it was like, okay, now I have to do another type of survival. Like I'm surviving motherhood, like new motherhood. And then there's this space I, for trauma, um, survivors and I it applies to any kind of trauma where it's called surviving survival. So now you're trying you're not in the middle of your crisis anymore but now you're trying to figure out how to rebuild and recreate a life afterwards and then there's a book and then there's all the media and all of the stuff and then I've got a baby and I'm not sleeping and it's 17 different types of crazy and I literally just felt like I was going to break into mm-hmm. and wondered like what what did i survive for this i'm not i'm not sure if i'm going to ma- be able to make it through this this feels yes i'm safe yes i have food and all those things but the mental again the mental strain and the emotional complication was just so exhausting and I don't know. I think for me, again, and this is a large part of like my message when I speak and on social media and everything is the only thing that has really worked for me is to just keep showing up. <laughs> I may not be in the best shape. What is uh, it that Dory says? Just keep swimming? <laughs> yes. I mean, like I sometimes I don't know, can't even swim. I'm just like <laughs> trying not to like sink. If I can just stay afloat and that's kind of what I've done. And yeah, like it's just been, it's been 10 years now. I just celebrated the 10 year anniversary of the rescue, which felt like a hugely significant, I didn't realize how much that was weighing on me, like that number, but it feels very much like I've closed that book and now I'm living and writing the sequel. And that feels really good. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, cause that was going to be my other question is unfortunately this is your, this is, this is sort of the story that everybody wants to know from you. And it's, and now you're going to close that out. And now you're going to be known as, no, I'm the survivor lady. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to show you how we survive this. Mm -hmm. My other question is, 
first world problems. So many of us, I have a whole cottage industry built around bitching about first world problems. Like, do you ever just go, do you ever just go into your, your kid's classroom and all the moms are like, there's not a healthy snack here. You're like, there's still fucking snacks. Like, you know, go 93 days in the desert and then come talk to me about a healthy snack. Like, do you ever want to do that? Or do you just not, like, I would be dropping that everywhere. (laughs) I have been known to be a little bit judgy Jess. It's, I think that's my natural like tendency and inclination anyway, but I've been working very hard to temper that and realizing that we all come to the table with different life experiences, (laughs) but it is hard. It is hard because these kinds of experiences, they change your DNA. Uh Uh-huh. And, but I mean, I have, I, I feel very strongly that we are all, we've all survived something. We're all surviving it or we will. And I'm Uh not into trauma comparison or anything like that. Pain is pain and life is hard. And I, I am a naturally, as much as I am judgmental, I'm also a very empathetic person. And so I will hold space for you. I know what you mean. Yeah. 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 So I just want to have real conversations. If you want to talk to me about why it bothers you that there aren't healthy snacks, I wouldn't be much more ready to sit down and hash out your need for healthy yeah. snacks than I would just to sit there and bitch and moan about it. Like right. I want I want to know like about why. And what's the it, motivation for this? Yeah. Did you not have healthy snacks growing yeah, up? Do you think yeah. that that's I'm always gonna be that person that yeah. people find really exhausting, I think sometimes. <laughs> but it's like What's yeah, exactly. Like, why does this bother you? Why is this triggering you so badly? Let's and let's and get to can, the bottom of this. Yeah, and I bet we can fix it. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's amazing. So <laughs> no, um. I do. I think oh, I just think I would totally be I, I would be dining out for days on the story and I would be putting everybody in their place. Like, and so that's why <laughs> I'm not a good I'm not a good person for this story. So you're not a uh, good kidnapping what, survivor. I would not be. Oh, <laughs> No, I the when I was reading your book and you were talking about how like you needed to be calm and you needed to like do what they say or, you know she'd taken mm-hmm. a training class and they told her all these yeah. uh, this, this advice and and I'm like don't get angry don't get belligerent and I'm like oh no I like <laughs> five minutes in they're like shoot the mouthy one like we're done with her <laughs> the guy should be worth something even if it's half price at least we have to live with her for ninety three days. <laughs> No, it's true. <laughs> Silence in that regard. Like I'm very good at people watching. So and I am not. Yeah, <laughs> I've honed those skills remarkably since. Then. No, I'm very good at. Do you know who I am? I'm an American, and then I'd be dead. <laughs> <laughs> I just slow and steady. Wins I the guess race. so. That's eventually every, I won. So yeah, every race, every race. No, that's. I mean, good grief. Okay, so when is the new book going to be done? When I don't do know. Gonna, when's it know. due? Let's start with that. Mm, the end of the, the year. Oh, end of the year. Oh, so you have like I've a lot of time. time. Yeah. 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 So, so you just started it or? No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I have finally resigned myself to this. The only way this book is going to get written is in fits and starts. So sure. it's like in 15 and 20 minute increments. Mm-hmm. I was also like so committed to my craft that I have to clear six hour windows to work on this profound piece of self-help garbage that's going to come out. Right. And then I realized 
okay, that's just a self-sabotaging like mechanism. Yeah. So literally this is going to have to be written in 20 minute increments. Right. Right. So is it, is it painful to kind of do this one? Like I would have thought the first one would have been a little bit painful to relive all that, but is um, this one painful to sort of unpack? This, yes. Because this is not it's just more an vulnerable. account. <laughs> this isn't an account. This is, this is what I've learned and what has changed. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a manifesto. Uh-huh. It's part memoir, part manifesto, and part guide book. Yeah. I, I hope. I hope. I'm a, always going to be a teacher. So that's going to be my my goal, my objective. So I'll let you know when it comes out, and then maybe we can talk about it again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm free in two years. So okay. Great. If this podcast still exists, <laughs> come on down. I hope so. You better oh, be. who knows with me, though? Talk about fits and starts. Mm. Like, who knows? I get that. I get it. <laughs> I have no accountability in my life and it's and it shows. So mm. I'm always like, I think the other day my husband was like, oh, you haven't put out a new podcast in a month. I was like, oh yeah, I should do that. That's so. why it's always helpful to have a partner. Yeah. See, and I don't have that. I need one. Mm-hmm. So then maybe the partner we get it done because mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know Jess, I know the other Jess often feels that way about me. So, oh. well, I still remember the day I was on your podcast. It was just there talking and she was like sorry the other jessica's coming she just she's hungry she's got to go to the bathroom <laughs> and you like roll in you're like all right let's go <laughs> but i was like oh i want to be that partner yeah i like that well you just need to find then find your other jess she's out I know. there and i used to have a partner i used to do a podcast with denise grover swank and she was really good at accountability but i mm-hmm. think that yeah i think she got tired of me i think she got rid of me because she was like girl you've got to do better because i'm just i don't know I liked I like organic things. I like it. Who mm-hmm. needs a schedule? I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong. Who wants? It's only it only helps you grow your listenership and all that stuff that's important. But you mm-hmm. know, meh. Uh, oh goodness! All right, so Jessica Buchanan, tell us where we can find all the things you do. I love watching you on Instagram. Are you on TikTok? I'm not. I mean, you should I'm be doing like your that. inspo stuff on TikTok too. Should I? I love, yes, I love your little videos that you do. Oh, thanks. And okay. I don't even like inspo porn, but I love your inspo porn. I am a big, huge, heavy, heavy like participator in inspo porn. I love it. Um, I do. I'm like, I like one yours. of those people is, oh my God, that's such a good quote. And then I like <laughs> write it all over the place and I tape it all over my walls. That's just me. Um, I, I am, really enjoy your stuff. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, on Instagram, I do hang out there a lot. I'm Jessica C. Buchanan and Facebook, Jessica Buchanan, website, Jess Buchanan. And my uh, podcast is We Should Talk About That. So at We Stat Pod on the IG and Twitter. And I also have a coaching program that I do with Rebecca Gregory, who's a survivor of the Boston Marathon bombings and amputee and Lauren Buchanan, who's also my sister-in-law. And she's like a branding and marketing we call her guru and that's project you collective. So that and is what's really the coaching about. Yeah. This so for survivors. Is, it's for women who are ready to tell their stories. A lot of women, it's not for everybody, but a lot of women have survived something and they want to write about it and they want to speak about it. And guess what? You can get paid to do that. So we have about 30 years of collective experience between the three of us in this professional speaking and uh, writing industry. So we put together a program. It's a group coaching and then I do just one-on-one coaching. And my my one-on-one coaching method is a little bit more spiritual. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different. 
love it. Thanks. Well, you guys, I can't tell you enough to go read Jessica's book, follow her everywhere. And me, if you're listening to this podcast, then you know me and you know that like, I don't do inspo shit, right? That's not who I am. (laughs) I'm not love and light. I'm like, love, get the fuck out of my way. But I do think that. I mean, that's inspirational too. What'd you say? I said that's inspirational too, though. I think. It is. It is. Yeah. I mean, it encourages people to move. And yeah. so I like that. I motivated them. <laughs> you know? But I just felt like listening to you speak and then reading your book and, every, and watching on Instagram and do your thing. I just, she, she gets, I, she gets me and I like what she has to say. And I hope you will too. I think you will. I'm positive you will. So please follow her everywhere and read her book. And when the new book comes out in two years, we'll be very excited to read it then. Because I know how slow publishing works. If oh it's not God. due for another year, they're going to be like, oh, Forever. we missed the fall. I know. So let's yeah. go ahead and do the spring. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> I'm not in oops. a hurry. Yeah. They're like, oops, we missed October. <clears throat> April's nice. So. <laughs> what is time? Yeah. Time. <laughs> there'll always be people that will want to read this book it's fine <laughs> and you're like back there going yeah but it's mm. been four years so mm-hmm. i get it i get it <laughs> but yes i look forward to reading it when it comes thank out thank you and i will talk to you soon please follow jessica i'll put links and everything and whew, her story is really incredible and the the past and the future whatever she's going to do in the future i'm looking forward to it. it's gonna be amazing thank you so much jessica thank you Thanks for listening and subscribing to the No Pants Required with Jen Man podcast. Don't forget to follow me on social media and subscribe to my newsletter at jenmanwrites.com. My newest book, Midlife Bites, Anyone Else Falling Apart or Is It Just Me? is available now everywhere books are sold. I'm also getting ready to put on some pants and leave my house. I'm headed out on book tours starting in April. So check my website, jenmanwrites.com for details. I'm adding new dates all the time, so keep checking back. And the best way to find out is to subscribe to my newsletter. I'll see you on the road. Bye.